My goodness, my goodness. Uh, well, salam alaikum. Hello, everybody. That means uh, peace be upon you. And uh, that's how I feel right now. I feel really at peace. I think my time in the Middle East was a lot more tumultuous. I don't know what that means. It's just a lot more harder than I expected it to be. Um, and I'm really glad to be home. Um, yeah. Uh, let's see. Yeah, I think uh, going in, um, I was very zealous, and I still am very zealous, as you guys might have known me in my, in my younger years. I feel like I'm old right now. <laughs> um, yeah, just ready to, uh, to go serve the Lord abroad. Um, I remember my first mission trip was six years ago, and that's when I decided to learn Arabic. And since then, it's been an upward climb to this moment. And now that it's over, I'm, I, I would ask for prayer, uh, how to like, remain involved and like, what to do next. Because my mom, she's always asking me, like, are you going to keep practicing Arabic? Are you going to um, you know, still talk to your friends and, and this or that? And I say yes, but um, it's, hard. it's hard to do with like, a busy life. Um, a couple of days ago, I was just walking around New York City, where I'm from, and I, and I walked up to a store, and it was an, an Arabic store, right, an Arab store. Uh, There's like a lot of Arab goods, and I just felt like my heart um, racing, and I felt, I felt really happy. I was like, wow, like, I, I miss the Middle East a lot. Um, I was talking to the guy in Arabic. I was like, how are you? Where are you from? And he said, and he responds to me in English, Pakistan. I'm like, you're from Pakistan? He's like, I don't speak Arabic. And I said, are you sure? And then he said, I said, you're from Pakistan? He said, no, you Pakistan. And I said, brother, speak to me in Arabic. Like, you speak Arabic. But he, he just did not want to speak to me in Arabic for some reason. Um, turns out he was from Lebanon. And uh, the conversation was important. It was more like my attitude. Uh, I just felt like I wanted to share the gospel with him. And I wanted to... Um, engaged in a spiritual conversation with him, and in some ways I'm like, like am I crazy? Like this is like my mind is just is still there, um, meeting people. I was with Alan and Tracy, and I was so distracted. Just like this guy next to me, and I was like, he seems like the one I should like share the gospel with, and yeah. So transitioning back from like being super focused and. And only doing initiative, like evangelism, um, has been a transition for me. But anyways, in the Middle East, um, God is definitely at work. It's, it's, um, it's a hard place to be a Christian. Um, and I think, I think when I was, I used to think, oh, we should like ask for persecution so our faith can be stronger. Uh, that's, that's not a very good thing to ask for. Um, God will, God will give you uh, the tests that you need, and um, yeah. So it was hard to not be uh, part of a local church. I think being a part of a local church is, is very fundamental to our growth and our maturation as Christians. Um, it's, it's, it's very warming for me to like, see you guys, um, to hear your stories, to like, hug you, and to laugh again. Um, not, not many Christians are, are blessed with that. Um, and while there was, like, a local church that we could have attended, everything's kind of, like, monitored by the government, and so, like, we'd have to, like, sign up our names, and they're, like, just, like, tracking us, and 
you're not explicitly allowed to share your faith um, as we were doing like on the streets, well not on the streets, but like in cafes. Um, and so we just didn't want to have any issues. And so we were, we were kind of, uh, what's that called? Just undercover. undercover, I guess you could say. Thank you. Um, and yeah, in terms of in terms of the the mission work, um, you know, people are people everywhere. Especially uh, we're 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 focusing with college students, um, and college students have the same questions like, "What is the purpose of life?" Um, I've I've been raised up this way. Uh, how can how can I uh, I don't know like what do I do with this? You know, and. Uh, I was very blessed to to make a couple friends to have like deeper spiritual conversations with. Um, some of them, well, one of them was really interested in the lineage of of Jesus. Um, that matters a lot in the Middle East. Uh, I remember his uh, his grandpa was um, a very high uh, esteemed person in his tribe, and he was the the keeper of the lineages, and so. Uh, he knew lineages up to 3,000 years ago um, with, with people from now present-day Saudi Arabia and Yemen. But they're all like part of like some tribe together. Um, and, and yeah, and I'm hearing that, and I open up the Bible, and like, we, like, we usually skip over the lineages because like, we, like, we don't really care. And I open up the Bible with him, and he sees like the lineage of Jesus, and he's just like amazed. And he just like takes off his glasses right away and he's just like reading it and he's like looking at every detail. And to me, I was just like, wow, this guy is, is eating up the word. Like it was just like his first time, you know, reading it. And it was like the most boring part of the word. And yet, and yet he just, just, yeah, he just loved the Bible. Um, so much so that when I left, uh, he like, he tugged me. He was like, hey, Sam, uh, what are you going to do with that Bible? And I said, what do you want, bro? Do you want it? That's how, you know, people don't like to ask directly. They like to, like, ask indirectly. It's like, what are you going to do with that Bible? And I'm like, okay, you want, you want the Bible, right? Um, and he's like, yes, please. And I said, brother, like, just take it, bro, please. It was an Arabic-English Bible. Um, and I say that because, you know, um, salvation is, is really up to the Lord. You know, it's not, it's not up to us. Um, I'm a very talkative guy. And I like to make tons of friends. And sometimes I feel like I can force things and um, have the best arguments or whatever. Um, but I'm always humbled. I'm just like God puts people in our lives to love. He puts people in our lives to, um, to minister to. And the most important thing is just to be obedient. Um, yes. Mm, um, maybe I'll share it for another minute. And if you guys have a question, then I'll be open to questions. Um, yeah, and actually, I'll take a question now. I think, I think that was it. Any, any questions to help me think? If you have a question, let me think. Um, God, 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 God. <laughs> yeah, yes. Yeah, 
Um, I think I think people feel like when you when you talk to like Muslims that you have to like engage in some like debate, and that's what happens a lot. You hear like Christian Islamic debates, uh, and what surprises to me is is how differently people. Um, I guess, treat you when you say you're a Christian versus when you follow Jesus. Um, because Jesus is very highly esteemed in, in the Quran as well. And just the word Christian comes with a lot of baggage. People like think crusaders. People think uh, you're trying to like impose like Western ideas on, on like the traditional communities, which is not true. But when you say that you love Jesus and that like you revere him a lot, um, people are just like, oh, tell me more. And... It's, it's so easy. It's, it's so easy to talk to people about Jesus, um, especially in the Middle East. Like you're, you're constantly hearing the call to prayer. People are, are very religious. God is like a part of everyone's life. And so in terms of the actual mission work, it's, it's actually super easy. You just walk up to someone and you just say, hey, uh, how are you doing? And they're like, oh, uh, I'm doing great. Uh, like peace be upon you, like um, something with God, like, um, like may God like bless you and stuff. And you're like, oh God, like, uh, you know, what do you like? What do you believe in God? And they're like, oh, where I believe this and that. And then they ask questions, and people are very, very open spiritually, um, which is not true in America. Sometimes people are like, we don't talk about religions or politics, but in the Middle East, people people talk about God openly, um, and that's that's somewhat surprising um, for me. Just like, oh, it's so easy. Uh, I think sometimes we think militaristically, like, oh, we're going to go to the Middle East, and, and it's going to be so hard to share the gospel. But it's it's really not that hard. Um, there are a lot of obstacles on their end to, uh, to coming to faith, but in terms of, of the actual sharing and, and having that space where, where we can share the gospel, it's, it's, not, it's not that hard. Um, and, yeah. I think that's, that's all I got for now. So, thank you. <laughs> it was just off the cuff. Very well done, Sam. Thank you. Um, just want a couple of announcements before we uh, get into the Word this morning. Um, mostly just want to remind you that we'll have a marriage tune-up in August 7th. It's Saturday, 8.30 to 11.30. And um, yeah, we'll, we've loved those. We've done those in the past. They're really edifying. So if um, you're here in town and you're interested in marriage, you're certainly invited to come. It's not marriage only. Um, content will be related to marriage, obviously, and then we like to circle up and just have some questions and edify each other, converse, share stories, and what works, what doesn't work, because <laughs> we're all learning in the process of marriage. Uh, so that's that. And then also uh, September 11th, uh, we'll have a... Um, what do we call that? Think Together, um, which is something really has been the impetus behind my son Andy, uh, who many of you guys know, a uh, great man of God and good thinker, and he just likes to take uh, certain social hot-button issues and pass them through the scriptures and get a perspective and equip ourselves for answering the questions or engaging with people that are confused. Uh, you know, what's the Bible say about fill in the blank? And so gender is a very uh, hot button issue, of course. So we'll talk about that September 11th. 
Uh, so those are just a couple announcements. There's others, but those are primary this morning. One last one that's not up on the screen is uh, some of you know Chris Corlett. Remember Chris? Used to fellowship with us for about 10 years. Uh, participated in worship and all, but his mom passed away Friday. And um, yeah, so he's grieving and I just wanted to tell you that. I did get a card for Chris and if you know him, uh, I guess even maybe if you don't, uh, I'll leave the card up here on this table and with a pen and just sign your name, maybe a quick note and I'll send it off to him. But I want you to know what Chris wants you to know is that um, his mom, Nancy, um, he found her in her apartment. She had passed over the night, and he didn't know that. He walked in, but he said, you know, I, my mom died in hope. I know she did. Her faith was strong. There was no question about uh, where her hope lied, and it was in Jesus Christ. So he is comforted by that, and it's a great truth for Christians when loved ones die, that uh, there's that sweet and sour, right? You miss their presence, especially the mom, uh, but you know where she is and you'll know you'll be reunited. So, uh, yeah, just a card for Chris there if you think of it afterwards. So please turn in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 2. And uh, what I want to do this morning is look at primarily verses 20 to 23, but a little bit of a, a second helping, I guess, if you will. I like leftovers, personally. Uh, Joni and I enjoy leftovers, so some of what we'll talk about this morning is a, a leftover. It's a, a retake of what we've talked about in the last couple of weeks. Um, let's just pray before we begin. Lord, uh, we need the influence of your truth, Lord, to encourage us and to edify us in the faith. So we look to you, Jesus, and just depend on you to speak through your word into our hearts and to give us that confidence in you, encourage our faith in you, Lord, to detach from the sense of feeling all the time but trust and walk more by faith, trusting in what we don't see, but we know because your Spirit has borne witness to us what is true. So equip us through your word this morning, Lord. Feed us in Jesus' name. Amen. I guess I was going to give a, an illustration, just kind of an opening illustration. Uh, I'll do that this morning from the weather. Um, for that um, I guess I would just say it was nice while it lasted. I'm referring to the sunshine that we actually had yesterday for a couple of hours. <laughs> and I don't know about you, but uh, I came home and, you know, I'd been working all day and Joni was on the phone and I just set my stuff down in my office and went back outside. It's just like, I just want to be out here. <laughs> you know, not all of us come from Arizona or... <laughs> Uh, where the sun is always shining and you actually see a cloud. It's amazing. <laughs> so I just say that as an illustration because Paul talks about legalism today, and it is nice while it lasts, but it doesn't last. That's the thing. The people in the church in Colossae was being influenced by 
Judaizers, by legalists, and they were being prone to that. So Paul writes to redirect their attention to the confidence that they have in Jesus. So let's read. Uh, I'll pick it up at verse 11 again, and we'll read through the end of the chapter. Colossians chapter 2, verse 11. In him you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism, in which you also were raised with him through faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you, being dead in your trespasses, in the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us. And he has taken it out of the way and nailed it, having nailed it to the cross. Having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. So, let no one judge you in food or in drink or regarding a festival or a new moon or Sabbaths, which are a shadow of things to come, but the substance is of Christ. Let no one cheat you of your reward, taking delight in false humility and worship of angels, intruding into those things which he has seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind, and not holding fast to the head, from whom all the body nourished and knit together by joints and ligaments, grows with the increase that is from God. If you died with Christ from the basic principles of the world, Why, as though living in the world, do you subject yourselves to regulations, do not touch, do not taste, do not handle, which all concerns things which perish with the using, according to the commandments and doctrines of men. These things indeed have appearance of wisdom in self-imposed religion, humility, and neglect of the body, but are of no value against the indulgence of the flesh." Let me say to you, first of all, brothers and sisters, that what we're reading is Scripture, okay? Uh, I love Revelation 2 and 3. Uh, By popular demand, as you folks, some of you know, I go out to the renovation house, uh, a local ministry for people with life-controlling issues. It's a faith-based ministry, and I'm there a couple of times a month. But they've asked me to start a Bible study through the book of Revelation. And so we're in Revelation chapter 3, and we just covered last Thursday uh, the Lord's words to the church in Philadelphia, Church of Philly. (laughs) But as you know, there's seven churches, and in each one of those, uh, it's an address from Jesus to the church. It's actually a love letter from Jesus to each of those seven churches. But what I love about those letters is that they all begin with the same words. To the angel of the church, fill in the name of the city, write. So you see what's happening? It's Jesus speaking. This is the resurrected, ascended Jesus speaking to the Apostle John, and John is writing down the words of God. They are narrated to him, and John is writing them. That's Scripture. It's God's words inscripturated. 
put down in writing, and they are written there for our edification. It's truth. It's absolute truth. God cannot lie. And so what John is writing is true. What Paul is writing, it's true. It's the same principle. Paul isn't necessarily receiving a narration from God through Jesus, but he is being inspired by the Holy Spirit, and he's writing God's words. That's why we call this the Word of God. From Genesis to Revelation, it's men who were inspired over the space of 1,500 years, some, what, 60 different authors? I don't know how many different authors exactly. A number eludes me. But it's the Word of God. Peter actually mentioned this very fact in his second letter, 2 Peter chapter 3. He says, Beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given unto him, hath written in all his epistles, speaking of them, of these things, which are hard to understand, and those who don't understand twist them to their own destruction as they do also the rest of the scriptures. As they do also the rest of the scriptures. Do you see the connection? Peter is saying, we have the Bible and Paul is writing the Bible. So is Peter. His second, first and second letter are the Bible. It's scriptures. Right? So that's what we're reading this morning. One other little housekeeping note that I want to address with you from verse 20. Paul says, therefore, if you died with Christ from the basic principles of the world. Now, that's New King James. Your ESV, I think, says from the elemental forces or from the elemental spirits of the world. Is that right? Spirits. Okay. So, your Bible and mine in English has two words, elemental spirits or basic principles. It's one word in Greek, and it's a flexible word. Like Peter uses that word in 2 Peter 3, where he says the elements will melt with a fervent heat. All right? And he's talking about the second coming of Jesus Christ. But in context, that same word, translated elemental forces, is there Peter is referring to the universe, the planets, the stars, the, the elements will melt with a fervent heat, the, the heavens will dissolve, he says, and the earth, right? So it's something out in the universe that Peter is referring to. It also can refer to, quite literally, the ABCs of life. It can refer to the elemental uh, substances, uh, earth, water, air. Uh, Paul, or sorry, whoever wrote Hebrews, uh, refers to sort of the elemental, the basic principles. You should have grown up by now so that you're able to digest meat, but you're still stuck on the things of repentance and baptism and salvation and all these beginnings, the things that are, are principle to our salvation. But it also refers to, and here's what I want to talk to you about just for a moment. But it can also refer to, as some translations bring, uh, elemental forces or spirits. Okay? Spirits. It's real entities. These are angelic beings. They are fallen, evil, dark angelic beings. We might know them as demons. Okay? And they have a leader called Satan. I believe in context, that is what 
Paul is referring to here. Because that's what's working behind the scenes here in Colossae. Now listen, brothers and sisters. I don't want you to think for one moment that this was their problem. Oh, that was a problem of antiquity. Okay? Because this is a culture that came out of paganism and polytheism. It's, it's Greek and it's Roman culture. We all know that. Multiple gods. Gods everywhere. Paul encountered that in Athens. He was troubled by everywhere he walked. He'd walk down the street in Athens. There was idols and, and they were represented by statues. And then they even had a, uh, an altar to the unknown god. Just kind of cover all their bases. And, and it troubled Paul. And he starts witnessing the gospel to them. No, 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 no. And he goes right back to creation, doesn't he? So I don't want you for one moment, brothers and sisters, to think that this was a problem of the ancient world. Oh, well, well we're advanced. We live in a scientific world. We know things they didn't know. I'll tell you what, Paul was no slouch. He didn't do too bad. Right here, even in verse 19, he talks about the body that's nourished by knits and joints and ligaments. Not too bad, Paul. For somebody who hasn't had the, the full insight into the, the human anatomy, Paul's talking about joints and ligaments. In Corinthians 15, he talks about there's stars, and one star is different from another. And there's planets, and there's one creation after this and that, and there's all sorts of complex and variation in the universe. Not too bad, Paul. So what I'm trying to tell you, my brothers and sisters, that uh, don't think that this does not apply to us. Oh, yes, it does. Oh, yes, it does. There are spiritual forces at work today just as they were at work then. In fact, they are the same spiritual forces. Angels don't die. Okay? They can be controlled only by God, and they can be you know, put away, but they never die. So what Paul is talking about preceded him. Let me just remind you of a couple of scriptures. Job, you all know Job chapter 1. Actually, Job's timing in the Bible, he, was, he preceded or, was con, or was, uh, lived perhaps at the same time as Abraham. So he's an old dude, right? But in Job chapter 1, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. Job chapter 1, the sons of God, I believe, refers to fallen angels, and Satan was with them. That's back in Job's day. Now, Paul's writing to a church in Colossae, and he's referring to these spiritual forces that were a work behind the scenes. You come to Noah's day in Genesis chapter 6. It says, the sons of God, interesting, the sons of God, as referred to in Job, saw the daughters of humans that they were beautiful, and they married any of them they chose. Now, I'm not going to get into all what that exactly how that worked, but it just tells me, just for the base, what I want to take away if, with you is that these creatures are alive today and they're actively involved in getting people distracted from the, and trusting in Jesus. The message of Colossae is the glory and the grandeur of Jesus Christ. That is the message. 
It is the glory of Jesus Christ. And these creatures, working through people, very convincingly, we're, we're distracting people away from the glory of Christ. Oh, that we would just rest in Jesus and count Him as enough for us. He is enough. The words that were coming from these influencers, these social influencers, was, you need more. No, you don't need more. You've got Jesus. You've got everything. Everything that is necessary for life and godliness and for wisdom and for discernment and for all the intangible things that are so valuable, priceless to us. Things like love and joy and peace. Y'all need peace. I need peace. This world has not offering me peace. It's nice while it lasts. Like sin has pleasure for a season. But then you wake up in the morning and it's like, yeah, well, that's over. I'm just trying to tell you, Paul is, is saying very honestly here that behind the scenes are these spiritual forces. I'm not trying to freak anybody out, but if you read your Bibles, you know this. Job, Noah, Moses. Moses, God's man of the hour, <laughs> if you will. He comes into Egypt to let my people go. And Pharaoh's like, I don't think so. Moses like got his brother Aaron with him. Aaron, take that rod, throw it on the ground. Becomes a snake. Everybody, and Pharaoh's not like, oh, okay, let the people go. No, he calls in his magicians, his occult practicers, and they do the same thing. How about that? <laughs> well, Aaron's snake swallowed their snakes, <laughs> which sends a really big message, Amen. That God is God. You don't know who you're messing with, Pharaoh. It ain't me. It's God who sent me to you. You read your Gospels. You read your Gospels. Jesus goes public, and all of a sudden there's all this demonic possession. All kinds of demonic activity. Mark chapter 1, he comes into the synagogue. There's a guy there with his demon possessed. I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Have you come here to destroy us? Us? Plural? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Speaking through that man. 1 Timothy chapter 4. So I, I, I've just given you some truths that were prior to Paul. It's present when Paul is writing. It's also future, brothers and sisters. The Spirit speaks expressly. And says that in the latter times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons through the hypocrisy of liars whose consciences are seared through people. Through people. What will they do? They'll forbid marriage, demand abstinence from foods that God created to be received with gratitude by those who believe and know the truth. That's future, latter days. Go to Revelation. What do you see? Same thing you saw in the days of Noah. An outbreak of demonic activity. Okay? So I just wanted to cover that base with you. Because we don't talk about that very often, but the Scripture has brought that to our awareness this morning. And Paul is saying it right out loud. 
to this church in Colossae. See, because they would go about their business every day. They'd go to the market and they'd interact with people just like Sam was talking about and like all of you and I. Maybe they'd go to their campus. Maybe some of them are in school. They had some really good educational programs back in those days as we have today. And they would encounter folks. And look, and I'm not saying look for demons under every rock. I'm not at all. Quite the opposite. I'm saying look to Jesus and let him take care of it. Right? Paul's like, I'm not ignorant of Satan's devices, but I don't make a study out of studying Satan's devices. I'll encounter them when I encounter them, but I've got my eyes and my attention and my devotion squarely on Jesus, who's the greatest. So I just wanted to cover that with you this morning. Okay, so now I can get on with a little bit of exposition of the word. So what we've done, a little bit of a, what I call that? Leftover. Thank you, Joni. <laughs> All right. What we covered last week, verses 11 through 15, we, we, we labeled those four, three, four verses as Paul declaring the gospel. And then in 16 through 19, he says, defend the gospel. Right? Uh, so I'll pick it up at verse 16 again, because we didn't spend a lot of time there. But Paul is, declares the gospel... He talks about what happens invisibly at conversion, right? And he used that idea, and he used the word circumcision because they were being influenced by Judaizers. So he used that word intentionally. But he's, he's talking about it, it, when you believe in Christ, when you repent of your sin and trust him by faith, then he cuts away the old nature, the sinful man. He removes the flesh, if you will, from you. He puts it and he kills it. And it was... It was the, the cross is applied to your personal immoral situation. But that's, that's only half the story. The other half is that we're raised with him. And so now I'm born again. I have new life. This is the inner workings, the invisible workings of the Spirit. Paul talked about the external then. It's, it's expressed through your baptism, buried and raised with him. So he declares the gospel. It's so good for the church to have the gospel preached to ourselves, to ourselves. You all know that, right? Like, sin's beating you up bad? It's like, I can't get out of this thing. It's the only thing I can think about or watch or talk about. You preach the gospel to yourself. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. He that is dead is freed from sin. My favorite verses in the Bible. Romans 6, verse 7. He that is dead is freed from sin. The day Joni and I got baptized, our pastor, Bob Chapel, who's in heaven now, I'll never forget, we were at the Pittsford YMCA up in Rochester. We're sitting on the bleachers ready to go into the pool because we're brand new Christians. And Bob just was preaching from Romans. And he's like, you can't make a dead man sin. He goes, if there was a corpse lying here, I could put a joint in its mouth. It ain't going to smoke it. He's dead. He's freed from sin. That's the beauty of the gospel. I'm set free from this monster that was controlling me. Old Scott is dead. New Scott, created by Jesus, is now alive. It's actually his life living in me. His life living in me. That is the gospel. It's true for anyone, but it has to be appropriated by faith. And then you experience that freedom, that peace 
that we talked about. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives. Give I unto thee. I give it freely. It comes with a cost from the world. You will overspend trying to get peace. You will overspend. There is not enough stuff that will satisfy you. The gospel's free. The Lord sets us free. So Paul then writes, <laughs> verse 15, by the way, having disarmed principalities and powers, right? He, he again addresses that uh, spiritual nature, right? These uh, evil forces that were at work upon us when we were living in our sinful condition. You know, uh, Leonard Ravenhill used to say that, some of you guys don't know him, but um, he used to say that every Christian ought to memorize Acts 26, 18, where Paul is testifying of the day the Lord revealed himself to him. And on that day, Jesus saved him and commissioned him. It all happened real quick. <laughs> and he's like, Paul, I want you to go plow some fields, bro. Get out there into the world and share my gospel to the Gentiles. Paul put his hand on that plow and he never looked back. But at his commissioning, Jesus said to him, rise, stand on your feet. I've appeared to you for this purpose, to make you a minister and a witness of the things that you have seen and the things that I will yet reveal to you. And he goes on and he says, here's the verse, 18, to open their eyes, to turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God. That's just a fact. It's a cold, hard fact. Turn them from the power of Satan. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. So these people who were gloriously saved had come into a personal relationship and were loving God through their faith in Christ are now being lured away by a variety of influence, as we've talked about. Some philosophical reasonings. He mentioned that in verse 7 or 8, philosophy. Right? So these were deep thinkers. He talks about some of the food restrictions in verse 16. Seems to be referring to a Judaistic influence. But then he goes into these elemental forces, and when you combine that, that word that we talked about, it, it's sort of a pseudoscience, as we've said before. People who observed the planets, and they lived in a world where they thought the earth was created by these angelic beings. And so there was some mysticism going on, and they were in this exclusive class of people who had hidden knowledge, if you will. Paul's like, baloney. <laughs> That's baloney. But they were being lured to that. So also with that came this legalism. So he says, defend the faith. Verse 16, let no one judge you in food or in drink or regarding a festival or a new moon or Sabbaths, which are a shadow of things to come, but the substance is of Christ. I love that, those two words, shadow and substance. 
right? Jesus has fulfilled any of those things that you can go back to Revelation or Leviticus 23, I think, where Paul kind of goes through the different festivals. He goes, they're all fulfilled in Christ, right? So they served a purpose to point to the fulfillment, the substances of Christ. So why would you put yourself into that place? Help me, Lord. Verse 18, he goes on. Let no one cheat you of your reward, taking delight in false humility, worship of angels, worship of angels, intruding into those things which he says he has seen, and he's just proud. Let no one cheat you of your reward. What is your reward? What does that mean? I think in context, I'm going to give you three things. Number one, it's the Father. Your reward is the Father. Jesus, when you and I get to heaven, Jesus is going to say, Father, here's the Son that I have saved for you. He's going to turn the whole kingdom over to God. Corinthians 15. The kingdom is people. We are His inheritance. Do you see Paul's beauty here? He's like, brothers, sisters, you're, you're getting caught up in the things that you feel like you shouldn't do or, or can do, and it's confusing you. And you're being distracted. We'll talk about this in a minute, a little bit more. But he's like, you don't let them cheat you of your reward. It's God himself, the love, joy, and peace in the Holy Spirit. So it's the Father. It's freedom. It's also freedom from sin's power. It's freedom from the power of sin. That's what the reward is. So we have the real-time reward of I have a personal relationship with God. I talked with Him this morning. He spoke to me through His Spirit into my heart. I know it was Him. I also experience freedom from the power of sin. This is my reward that I have personally received, that you personally received. And so Paul really starts to move a little bit from declaring the gospel and defending it to getting more into the practical side. You with me? And he starts to talk about our sanctification. That's a big word, sanctification. What is sanctification? Well, let no one judge you in food, drink, festival, new moon, Sabbath. A lot of that has to do with food. So let me just say it this way in context. Sanctification is the process of losing your appetite <laughs> for worldly, fleshly things and increasing our hunger and thirst for God. That is sanctification. He's talked about the invisible but very real work of converting my soul. I now have a good standing with God. But my state, that is, how I'm experiencing my salvation, that's a process that we go through until we die. That's called sanctification. It's the process. Do you hear that word? It's a process. 
That's why I love these words. And again, I'll just repeat myself for a little leftover because I was so impressed by Paul's tenor in the way that he speaks. He's not speaking angrily and, and just like throwing the hammer down on these people that are affecting the church. And he's not really strongly rebuking the church. He's like, you stupid people. No, he realizes that there, there's a process. And, and they're in the process of losing their appetite for worldly, fleshly things and increasing our hunger and thirst for God. Worldly and fleshly are two different things. Worldly is the world system influenced by those spiritual forces that are unseen, which is primarily lust and greed and pride. Just get power and do everything you can to get, keep it. Power through possessions or reputation. And it's all about you. That's the devil's anti-gospel. I will be like God. A reward, brothers and sisters. Paul reminds them of their reward. You've got God. Jesus has ushered you into his presence. He's reconciled us to him through the cross in the empty tomb. And we now experience freedom from sin's control. Let me just say it that way. He's dealt with the penalty of sin, death, and now he's dealing with the power and the pleasure of sin. So that the things that I used to run for, I now run from. <laughs> or they just don't, I'm, I'm somewhat, Paul would say, I'm dead to the world. It just doesn't seem to have that influence on me anymore. And the world's dead to me, by the way, he said. So the reward is the Father, it's freedom from sin's power. And oh, church, I pray that we'll end up exalting Jesus for that very reason today. I just want to encourage you in that. And then thirdly, the Father, freedom, and future reward. I believe it's also Paul could re be referring to future, because Paul was all about that. He was just a sensible man. He's like, dude, there's a crown waiting for me, right? And he's like, I, you know what? Whenever I s detect some uh, conceit going on in me, where people are looking and, and they're impressed by, my, by the words and they're, they're like, Paul, can I get your autograph? He's like, oh my God. Oh. Right? I just, I don't want to back off. And the Lord gave him a, a messenger of the devil to humble him, lest I be conceited beyond measure. Paul saw stuff. He saw, he saw heaven. God took him out of the body, in the body, because I don't know, but I saw paradise. So there is a future reward for your faithfulness, for your faithfulness. Well done, good and faithful servant. The Lord's not interested in, in, in your accomplishments. He's interested in our faithfulness. Maybe at the end of your life, he will, you're going to go, man, I don't know, what have I accomplished? The Lord's going to go, you walked with me in holiness. And that is a powerful witness. 
I had uh, a great conversation. I'm just going to rabbit trail for a moment here. But uh, Mina is a brother in the Lord who's, he and his wife, uh, not here this morning, but he's uh, an Egyptian man. And uh, he has some time on his hands. So he and I and my grandson were working Wednesday together, and it was hot and sweaty, and we had to take a break. Uh, we were, I was drenched. Mina is Egyptian. He's like, two shirts, he's barely sweating. I was like, whatever. But we get talking, and he's like, I'll tell you what, man, living in a Muslim world where he came from, where he comes from, they're going to go back there. He goes, you know what? Speak so loudly is a holy life. I'm like, bro, that's true in any culture and any time. And it's true within the church. It is so true in the church. Brothers and sisters, be faithful to live a life of devotion to God according to his scriptures. Trust what they say. If it says flee fornication, then flee fornication. Yeah, but. <laughs> no, no, run. <laughs> Don't make provision for your flesh. That's, it, that has a powerful witness to any people in and out of the church at all times. Paul goes on in verse 19, and he says, And not holding fast to the head, from whom all the body nourished and knit together by joints and ligaments, grows with the increase that is from God. Head. <laughs> right? I believe Paul reverts back to the analogy of a body for two ways, in two ways and for two reasons. First of all, it's, he's referring to a literal body. Joints and ligaments, a body. In other words, a body can't live one second without a head. You just can't, you won't make it. He also refers to a spiritual body. A spiritual body can't live one second without a head. Okay? So thus, Jesus is preeminent and supreme. That's the message of Colossians, amen? It's the supremacy of Jesus, the glory of Christ. It also tells me that there is one singular dependable source for everything that is necessary for my life. So when these influencers are going, you need more, you don't need more. You don't move. You're actually backsliding, okay? You're going backwards, not forwards. Because Paul's looking for maturity and growth, or as Sam used that big word, maturation. I'm like, whoa, Sam, we need a dictionary, bro. So two ways. A literal body, but I believe Paul is speaking also of a spiritual body. He said that earlier. Christ is the head of the church, the body of Christ, Right? And for two reasons, for two reasons, he refers to, I believe, a spiritual body, that is the church. For two reasons, because he wants unity of the spirit. Now hear me on this. He wants unity of the spirit. Paul knows that legalism leads to division every time. Legalism leads to division. Why? because it becomes competitive and comparative. Judgmentalism. Let no man judge you. Don't let somebody put a trip on you and say, hey, you got to do it this way. Paul wrote Romans 14 for that very reason. Right? Don't you who feel like your scruples, your principles in life don't allow you to watch a particular genre of movie? I don't know. I'll just leave it at that. 
And you're over here going, let's just watch a movie, man. Because I kind of want to see what's, what's the media portraying of social life today. This was Francis Schaeffer's old gig. He studied art. He looked at stuff I'd never want to look at. But he looked at it because that's telling us something. That art from that era is telling us something about what's going on in the spiritual world. In the hearts and minds of people. When this brother over here is like, you can't do that. You can't look at that. Well, don't judge me and don't despise him. See, it brings division. This lure to legalism, it's death. Legalism brings division. It brings uniformity <laughs> instead of diverse unity. And the second reason Paul would write is humility. Because Paul knows that the lure of legalism is pride basically cuts the head off. I don't need you anymore. I can do this. I got all these things in place. I'll do this. And the Lord's like, after a while, how's that working? <laughs> you want to come back now and reattach to the vine and start to enjoy the fruit internally? Love, joy, peace, and all these beautiful qualities that are actually mine that I'm graciously pouring into your life. I believe that's why Paul wrote two reasons, those two reasons. And I am busted my time here, so verse 20, therefore, King James probably shouldn't be there. It says, if you died with Christ. Paul's not, that's not a conditional phrase. He's not questioning whether they died with Christ. Look, brothers and sisters, I know. I know that that is, that's an unusual thing to say. You're dead with Christ. Really? <laughs> Jesus, who lived 2,000 years ago, died on a cross? I died with Christ? It, it's, a, it's a concept, isn't it? It's not a theory, it's a fact. I don't know, i got to just tell you, my brothers and sisters, sometimes the Spirit moves. I was at the renovation house Thursday. We were kind of talking about the Lord living a life. Now, these are men and women who are there because they have addictive, there's life-controlling things. And I'm talking to them. They've been in prison. They've got a lot of stuff going on. There's baggage. But I'm telling them about Jesus and about how Jesus was tempted in every way and never sinned. And one of the brothers, he goes, that's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like spoken right there from somebody on the street, man. They're like, wow. I said, yeah, he really did. When he got to the end of his life, he was holy, untainted, unmixed, nothing. He was righteous. He gave his life for everybody else because the rest of us are unrighteous. He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. We died with Christ. Paul's not questioning if you died. He's confirming. He's saying it's a reality. Why, as though living in the world, do you subject yourselves to these 
worldly and evil forces. You know what's really odd? This is actually true, but you know what's really odd? These angelic evil forces, they know what's true about you. They know you're dead in Christ, and they know you're alive in Christ. You may, or I, may get to a point where we start questioning that, and they're laughing. <laughs> they're like, wow, that's so weird. Let's make sure they never discover the glory of Christ. Screw tape letter, C.S. Lewis, right? This <laughs> is a classic. As he would write, uh, one chief bad angel speaking to his disciple. Right? And that's his whole premise, thesis in that book. It's like, it's the workings behind the scenes. They know that. Why do you subject yourselves to regulate? Why? That is a really good question. That is worth pondering. Why do you, and I'm pointing at myself, why do I have a tendency to want to put regulations in my life. Why am I prone to legalism? Why? And then he goes on, verse 21. Don't touch, don't taste, don't handle. Don't, don't, don't. <laughs> Notice all the attention is away from Jesus, and it's more on what you do, your activities and your appetites. And then he says, verse 22, which, all th uh, which concern things which perish after with the using according to the commandments and doctrines of men. Okay? Um, Jesus would talk about this very thing. Invited to the home of a Pharisee who, yeah, they had traditions of men. You need to wash your hands a very certain way. From what I've read over time, it was a very particular way. It had to be over running water, not a bowl of stagnant water, but running water, and you had to put your hands under the water so that the water would hit your hand and drip down off your wrist and not go down your arm. And then that would ceremonially cleanse you, and now you can eat because they believed that bad stuff would come into your system and defile you and, and make you ceremonially unclean. And the Lord's like, that's ridiculous. It's food goes into the belly and, yeah. He's like, that's what Paul's saying here. It's, it's perishes with the use. Nice while it lasted, kind of was my point. Verse 23, these things indeed have an appearance of wisdom in self-imposed religion, humility, and neglect of the body, but are of no value against the indulgence of the flesh. Isn't that something? Somebody can give an appearance of being godly and be evil inside, right? So they give an impression of being spiritually impressive. This is exactly what Jesus encountered with the Pharisees. He's like, when you fast, don't do what they do. They actually put a little bit of makeup on. They learn how to pucker up. Then they go out in public and, oh, I'm fasting. And everybody's thinking, oh, my, what a godly man. Right? Or they pray. They stand on the street corner and they pray. Or they give money to the homeless person. And they look around and they make sure everybody hears and sees the 
penny that he puts in the guy's coffer. Oh, what a, what a fine representation of God. And Jesus came to them and he said, yeah, you know what you are? You're like whitewashed tombs. You see, white is a representation in the scripture of righteousness. Did you know that? The word white, by the way, is used more times in Revelation than any other part of the New Testament. They're going to clothe us with white linen. Jesus comes back on a white horse and there is a great white throne judgment because God is holy and right and pure and perfect. He goes, you're a white washed tomb. Inside, you're full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. And so, friends, I think that perhaps what Paul, in answering the question, why are you doing this? It's perhaps because they were struggling in finding victory over their sin. And it's like, you know what, maybe if I get into what these guys are promoting, I'll experience a little more freedom. Paul's like, it's going to bring division, it's going to break down your fellowship, you're going to get proud, you're moving away from the grace of God and His sanctifying work in your lives. So, Holy. <laughs> What's holy? How do you define holy? Pop quiz. Set apart. Good. Nicholas. Of God. God is holy. Amen. Good words. Perfect. It's a little bit like defining blue. It's like, how do you define blue? Um, blue? I don't know. It's like, you know, we try to bring in synonymous words. Holy, right? Perfect, pure, unmixed, godly, right? Set apart, sacred, right? What I want to tell you, my brothers and sisters, that at your conversion, there was an invasion of holiness. The Holy Spirit came into your heart, which proves the work of justification because there's no way light and dark can dwell in the same, be, be in the same place at the same time. And I was and you were full of corruption until he cut that away, removed it from me through faith in the work of Christ, his finished work, and then holy came in. I'll tell you what, holy is powerful. It is powerful. It will not, it will, oh, sorry, it will always gain the victory. It always, it's reliable. It rules. Holy. You are made holy. That's why Peter said, be holy, for God is holy. Holy is pure, it's powerful, and it's promising. Can I say that to you? I already did. It's pure, powerful, and promising. Holiness. Holy is powerful. You think about how many times you see holy mentioned in the Bible. 
And it seems like there's always fire. Moses, take your shoes off, man. You're standing on holy ground. Burning bush. Jesus comes down on the mountain. The mountain's quaking. There's smoke. Holy God. Isaiah saw the Lord high and lifted up. Fire. Day of Pentecost. Holy Spirit. Fire on their heads. God's a consuming. He's a holy God. And he burns up all the chaff. It's pure and it's powerful and it's a promise. If he, Hebrews 12, 14, make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. With holiness, I'm going to heaven. Just like my friend Chris's mom. Not because of anything I've done. It's because of, he gave that to me. In closing, look at me, with me Colossians 2, 9 and 10. We'll just close with that. And then I want to sing a Hallelujah Jesus. <laughs> I want to sing that song together. Felt like the Lord gave that yesterday morning. Colossians 2, 9 and 10. In him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead in bodily form. That is in Jesus Christ dwells all the fullness of the Godhead in, in human form. Now certainly, included in that statement is holy. I suggest to you that holy is actually the primary essence of who God is. He is holy. That's what he says. And then verse 10 and you, Christians, are made full or complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. He's given me holiness. You can't get better than perfect. Is there a lure to legalism? Like, I got to do more. We all feel that all the time. No, you don't need to do more. It's not about diet. It's about desire. Didn't Daniel prove that? It's like, oh yeah, you're going to put us on this special Babylonian stuff. No, just give me a little bit of that. Why is that? Because he had a heart for God. It wasn't about his food. It was about his devotion. <laughs> so... I don't know, hopefully some of that edifies you today. Becky, come on up, please, hon. And uh, I think most fitting way in my mind to close today is to just worship Jesus <laughs> and thank him for the freedom that he has given us and his faithfulness to minister to his church daily. You, me. Don't let anybody cheat you of your reward. You have the Father. And He has you. <laughs> He's bought you with a price. You are now His. So Lord, receive the rest of our worship this morning as we lift our voices to You. Thank You for speaking to us through Your living Word. 
Lord, I just thank you that it's timeless. That Paul, it's like he was standing here today just saying these words to us because it's so relevant. The human condition is always needs Jesus. Lord, I believe that it's so easy to get distracted and to start keeping track of what I've done or not done and to start to find some value and some validation in myself because of that. Yeah. Put ourselves on a leash. No, Lord, break the chains. <laughs> Pray the reality of what you've done for us would settle deep in our hearts and establish us in our faith, Lord. Lord, I just want to say, I, I don't know where I'll, when I'll see some of my friends here again. I'm so thankful to be reunited for this Sunday morning. But I know there is a certainty, Lord, and that is a certainty that you're alive and your spirit dwells in me and you've testified to my spirit that you are alive and that I am your son. And these are my brothers and my sisters. And that you're coming again. And until then, Lord, we offer our lives to you as a living sacrifice. Lord, it's a reasonable thing to do, to give back our, our few crumbs of our life, that you would do what you want in us and through us. Lord, forgive us for holding on, for, for walking fearfully, being afraid to surrender. No, Lord, we surrender. As Paul has brought you front and center, and in spite of all the complex things that compete for our attention, our devotion, Paul stays right there at the foundation of the building the chief cornerstone. Oh, Lord, Spirit of God, anoint your church. Amen.